0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 10.45 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. And the title uh, this morning is, It Takes Courage to Face Prison and Death. As I was thinking about it a little bit more, it might be more appropriately titled, entitled, "It Takes Courage to Pray When It Seems Hopeless." We have a, a scenario that unfolds in Acts chapter 12 that is um, a, a test for us as believers. When we see what happens in Peter's life, we are tested both on uh, on two sides. Do we pray like the people that were praying for Peter, and How do we respond when God responds the way he does in Peter's life? We need to test ourselves in both of those areas. I can remember uh, as a youth pastor, uh, one of the fun things that we got to do, we we did a lot of really fun things and a lot of stuff that probably now we wouldn't allow in our youth group. Uh, But we had a paintball uh, event one time, and I can remember when the war paint had first opened up up there. We went up there and we all got a bunch of... uh, Uh, of these uh, guns that were rental guns up there and we had a ball. We were having uh, these wars inside this big uh, area that was there and uh, felt like we were, you know, just all amazing paintballers by the end of a one-hour session. Uh, And then partway through, um, it it was about a four-hour time we had rented that place. There was a group of guys that were actually training for a paintball competition uh, that came in, and there was just three of them against basically our youth group. And they said, can we just test our skills against you guys? And so we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll kill you, no sweat, you know, uh, let us do that. And so they come in, and, and I can remember on this one uh, moment, we, we're sitting there, we're, we're, we're given the uh, high position, we had all of these, you know, defenses set up and ready to go. We're like, man, we're just going to kill these guys. And they proceeded to come through and slaughter us, all right? We're just shooting as much paint as we can lay out there, all right? It's just straight paintballs uh, everywhere. And somehow they were able to get underneath that. And not only that, they were able to um, make maneuvers where one person would draw some fire and other people would cut off and kill all those people that were shooting at the one guy. Uh, it was actually pretty phenomenal. And I was asking the guys at the end, I'm like, how do you guys actually communicate when you're out there because it seemed like you knew exactly where we were and how to get us every single time. And they said, well, we've spent a lot of time here. They said, but we spend a lot of time together outside of the paintball field. And they said, in all of that communication, we just know where the other person is when it gets gnarly. That's what he said. We know where they are when it gets gnarly. How much time do you spend with the Lord? And the question is, When you go into a situation that is uncomfortable, that is overwhelming, are you absolutely confident that you know where the Lord is in the middle of the mess? You won't if you haven't spent time with Him outside of the mess. Amen? The prayer that we see being answered here comes from a group of people who were consistently in prayer when nobody was in prison. They were consistently in prayer All the time, praising God, lifting up requests to the Lord, they were constantly taking things to the Lord in a way that gave their heart confidence when there was a mess. That's what we see. Acts chapter 12 shows us the result of a group of prayer warriors like that. Let's stand and read verses 1 through 19 together. It says, And about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some of those who belonged to the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was being made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hands. The angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you, follow me. Seems like he's getting a toddler ready for school, doesn't it? (laughs) And when he went out and followed him, he did not know what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for him on its own accord, and they went out... "'Along one street, and immediately the angel left him. "'And when Peter came to to himself, he said, "'Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel "'and rescued me from the hand of Herod "'and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. "'When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, "'the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, "'where many were gathered together and were praying. "'And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, "'the servant named Rhoda came to answer.' Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but she ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But he kept insisting, or she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him, and they were amazed. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them... How the Lord had brought him out of prison and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers and he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become to Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death and he went down from Judea to Caesarea to spend more time there. Do you believe that actually happened? It did. You may be seated. Father, help us to see uh, that these moments, even on a Sunday morning, are not just passing time. Uh, Father, these are important moments where we bow our heads and our hearts and we give ourselves, our thoughts, our actions to you. Father, I do pray that we would hear your voice. I do pray that you we would sense your presence. Father, I pray that our confidence in you when we're in the middle of the mess would rise father you are the one that knows best what the next step requires whether it's prison or death or a supernatural freedom you are the god that's in full control but help us to have confidence like children in a well-run home have confidence that we are safe in you help us to trust you like that we ask in jesus name amen James of Gilmore um, says this, and, and I've uh, j- just a, a note, I've preached on this passage three different times, or this is the third time in seven years. Um, once when we were talking about prayer, uh, this passage had so impacted me, um, it, it had just uh, filled up my heart, and so I had preached on that about seven years ago. And then this was the first message, this chapter, this section that I preached right after I was sick. And I can remember these thoughts, some of these things uh, still remain with me. I still pray guided by this passage. James Gilmore says, My creed leads me to think that prayer is efficacious, effective in essence. And surely a day's asking God to overrule all events for good is not lost. There's a great feeling that when a man is praying, he is doing nothing. This feeling makes us give undue importance to work, sometimes even to the hurrying over or even to the neglect of prayer. Um, A.W. Tozer said, The more praying that there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil everywhere. Prayer, in one phase of its operation, is a disinfectant and a preventative. It purifies the air, and it destroys the contagion of evil. Erwin Lutzer said, God expects us to see his hand even in the night of our experience. Often we must descend into darkness in order to see the light. To those who have faith, God's fingerprint can often be spotted in the most unlikely of places. Here is this moment when Peter is in prison and you can see his fingerprints all over the scenario, even in the way that God sets up the narrative. It says that uh, Herod is on the hunt, that Peter has been placed in prison, and it makes great pains to tell you that it's four squads of soldiers to guard him. While he is in prison, the church is in prayer to God. There is a showdown that is about to happen. I'd like us to note four things, and this morning, this is what I want you to do. I want you to consider in your own life how much you have trusted prayer, and then I want you at the very end of this service to consider whether or not you would allow somebody else, just like the church was praying for another, if you would allow somebody else to pray for you. We actually have in this auditorium, in this service, some senior saints Those prayer warriors who I told you have made such a difference in other people's lives that are going to come at the end of the service, and anybody who would like prayer, we're going to ask you to come and allow them to pray for you over what it is uh, that is troubling your heart. Four things before we get to that moment. First thing I want you to recognize is that a great story requires a great crisis. Lutzer once again says, By all appearances, his life was on the verge of being cut short. God put Peter in a corner with no known way of escape. His future was to be determined by forces beyond his control. Like a driver whose steering wheel becomes disconnected, there are times when our fate is quite literally out of our hands. That's the case in Peter's life here. I I want you to notice just a couple key characters. Once again, Herod. It says about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some of those who belonged to the church. Now, you got to ask yourself, which Herod is this? Doesn't it seem like this guy just keeps turning up like a bad penny? Right? It's like Voldemort. He's in every bad scenario. Here is Herod, and this is the third time that we see a Herod listed here. And it seems like one has died and another one rises. If you would just consider that that title, Herod, um, that that this is one that is handed down within that family, kind of like Caesar. When you hear Caesar, that means he's the ruler, but it may be actual Caesar or Caesar Augustus or some other Caesar. They would put that title on people. Herod, as a name, gets handed down within this family, and uh, it is a title also that comes with it. Here is this Herod that is ruling a certain area. And he wants to, once again, make a name for himself like other Herods had. He wants to get rid of this plague on the church. He wants the Jews to accept him. And he's trying to find a way politically to get them to accept him. Herod is here. But also, I want you to notice in this passage the death of James. It says that he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Now, The assumption here is that Herod has gone through the exact same process that he just entered into with Peter. He takes James, he puts him in prison, he goes through a process of a a fake trial and then he has him killed, sees that that is popular with the Jews, so he begins the exact same process with Peter. For James, it did not turn out the same way that it would for Peter. I want you to register that in your mind. Do you believe that the same group of people that were praying for Peter were praying for James. Don't be so hard on them when they say, well, "How is it possible that he's standing at the door?" They had the exact same amount of fervent prayer against a wicked enemy that they had just moments before with James. But the result is quite different. This is the case with a sovereign God. He kills James the brother with a sword. And then it says that Peter, once again, is put in prison with four squads of soldiers. What he says with this one, Peter, he's very popular. He's like, I am not taking any chances. Four squads of soldiers for Peter. I think three squads of them were just there to keep the rag tied around his mouth. He was probably talking the whole time. Peter promptly falls asleep. Some have said that they were confident that Peter wasn't afraid, that he wasn't showing any kinds of concern. Uh, I don't know that there's any evidence of that, even though uh, he had been told that he would uh, be old when he would pass away. Old was, you know, in that day and age, people dying at 50. You make it past 50, that's a long time in that that, uh, era. So here is Peter, after 50, in prison. I don't believe that his confidence came from the fact that he wasn't afraid he was going to die. I think his confidence came from the fact that God has always been in control and he would just learned to rest. God is in control. He falls asleep, so asleep that the angel has to shake him. I, I want you to note this. The, the point here is that a great story requires a great crisis. I, I think that everybody in here wants a great story. I think that the popularity of Facebook and all of the stuff that we see today is because our world, individually, individually, all made up of individuals, they all want a great story. They want other people to think their life is amazing. I think that's how we live. We live to have an amazing story, but you can't have an amazing story without crisis. Billy Crystal, the great philosopher and theologian, one time I was speaking to a group of kids in a movie and he says, value this time of your life, kids, because this is the time in your life when you still have choices and it goes by too quickly. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything and you do. Your 20s are a blur. Your 30s, you're raising your family, make a little money and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? Your 40s, you grow a little pop belly, you grow another chin, the music starts to get too loud uh, and one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. Your 50s? have become, you have a minor surgery. You call it a procedure, but it's actually a surgery. In your 60s, you have major surgery. The music is still too loud, but it doesn't matter, because you can't hear. (laughs) 70s, you and the wife retire to Fort Lauderdale, and you start eating dinner at two, and lunch around 10, and breakfast the night before. (laughs) You spend most of your time wandering around the malls looking for the ultimate in soft yogurt, muttering, how come the kids don't call? By your 80s, you had a major stroke. You end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand, but you call mama. He said, uh, any questions? A little bit negative, but he's highlighting the fact that we all want a great story, but how many of us get it? A great story requires a great crisis. What what would our recent movies tell us? Mission Impossible, what would it be without a crisis? What would Lord of the Rings be or The Hobbit or The Avengers? We have all of these movies. Our world is craving somebody to answer a great crisis. But there is only one person in all of history who can solve great crisis and it's the Lord. All of these stories are a reflection of a hope that we actually can only rightly put in the living God. And if your whole life is in his hands, then your story is great enough. Amen? It takes a great crisis. Here in this moment, there is a crisis. And the test in Peter's life is not whether or not he has enough faith to face it. He does. The test in his life is whether or not that that faith will cause him to still stay focused on prayer no matter what the result. Those people that were praying for James, those people that were prayer warriors in the church were praying for Peter just as fervently. And in the midst of that crisis, they rose up. Second thing I want you to note is that prayer is always the right response to calamity. It's always the right response. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. There is an actual book of uh, Yiddish stories, Uh, and in there, there was an interesting um, story that was told, an anecdote about an older man that had gotten lost in the woods, and he said uh, he arrived out there without his prayer book. And he says uh, in the middle of his prayer, he's like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to pray because I'm lost and I don't have my prayer book, he said. So uh, I'm just going to pray the alphabet and I'm going to allow you to put them in any order that those letters need to be. That little uh, book of Yiddish stories said that it was a, a prayer that God honored because of his faith. God knows how to put the letters in the right arrangement to get you out of the predicament that you are in. Spirit of God utters groanings too deep for words. As we're praying and we don't know how to pray how we ought to, the living God on our behalf is praying saying, no, this is what they mean. No, this is what is best. No, this is how it needs to turn out. Prayer is always the right response. There is a uh, few things, though, that would be prayer suppressants. Things that will cause you not to pray. And I want you to think about just in this text what some of those would be. The first thing that I see is a a prayer suppressant or something that would cause you not to pray would be a lack of empathy. If you are looking at what is happening to Peter and you're just like, well, man, that must be really terrible to be him. And you can just go on with your life without concern. Now, We look at this scenario and we think, well, how could you not be stirred up? But I think that there are scenarios right around us, right outside of our door on a daily basis that we see and we walk by without prayers, without concern, without it affecting our heart. A lack of empathy will cause you not to pray. But a second thing that will cause you not to pray is an infantile faith. I just put down uh, three observations, and we don't have time to uh, walk through all of them. They're not Scripture anyway, but there were some Scriptures attached to these ideas as I was walking through them. An infantile faith is when we tell God what is right and we demand what we want. An adolescent faith doesn't know what is right and don't know what we want. But a mature faith tells God what we want but trusts Him with what is right. A mature faith is what we're shooting for. Maturity says, I know that God cares. I know that he is close, and I know that I can go to him. I trust him with the result, but I go to him with the concern. It takes maturity. An infantile faith won't go to the Lord, or it goes with demands. A lack of empathy and infantile faith, but also theological baggage. Have you ever asked the question, well, if God is sovereign, does prayer even matter? There are a lot of people who are concerned that by praying, going to the Lord and saying, Lord, this is what's going on, will you please change the circumstances, that somehow that, that their prayer is not based on uh, theological truth. Uh, we, we don't have time to undo all of that thinking other than we need to read the story as God wrote it, Right? It says that there are four squads of soldiers. Herod is in control. James has just been killed. Everything looks dire. It says, but God's people began to pray. God writes a story to lead you as an individual through this process to say, what ought you to do when things are dire? And if he's asking you to pray, you ought to pray. In probably the most significant passage on the sovereignty of God in Romans chapter 9, it caps it off with Romans chapter 10 verse 1. So he's talking about the sovereignty of God in words like election and uh, salvation and all of these things and, and says many deep and hard things to understand in Romans chapter 9. God is absolutely in full control But it says in Romans 10, verse 1, But brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that is for those that are lost, he says my my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. If it doesn't matter, why pray? He says it matters. James chapter 5. Verses 13 through 18, there's a lot of discussion about what he is focused on here, but I want you to hear it as it is written. The Lord inspiring these words to be written this way. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. But is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. And the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, you would think we would just end right there, but that's not where God ends. He gives them an illustration in order to bolster their prayer life. He says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. That's a pretty shocking illustration, isn't it? Once again, we don't have time to unpack all of these things when it comes to prayer, but this is the one thing I want to urge you. God cares about the situation, and he wants you to come to him and say, Lord God, can you fix this? Now, he wants us to come with righteous hearts. He wants us to come desiring to see his will accomplished on earth. He wants us to come not just out of greed, not just out of a desire to get things, but out of the desire to see righteousness happen. That's what they're praying for. Lord, let this man free. The way that the story is written, it is written in such a way that it would inspire prayer. Don't suppress it. This last week, uh, I was called to a couple of different situations, and one of them was to the bedside of a friend. We'd been in uh, high school together, and he'd been going through a lot of hardship in their own family. They'd had all kinds of tragic things that have happened just recently. And in that hospital there is a man that uh, had experienced heart failure, and I could go into that place, and I want to tell you right now, I go to the foot of that bed, and I prayed before God, Lord God, don't take him. Heal him. Would you bring him back safe? Is that an unrighteous prayer? I, I got word from his wife this uh, just yesterday that it's possible he may go home tomorrow after heart failure to go home. And I praise God for that. But I think we had a whole group of people that were praying. Earnest prayer on behalf of another, we ought to lift up and say God cares. Amen? And don't let anything get in the way. Third thing I want you to see is that supernatural intervention is always hard to believe. Verses 14 and 15, this is troubling to us. Uh, First of all, it says, uh, verse 11... When Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. Well, it's taken almost six verses to convince Peter that this wasn't a dream. Peter didn't even believe he was getting saved, all right? He's walking out of prison. All these things are happening. He goes, man, this is an amazing dream. It is so lifelike. He's walking right out the doors. But then... Verse 14 it says and recognizing Peter's voice in her joy she didn't open the gate but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate and they said to her you're out of your mind she kept insisting that it was so and they kept saying no it's got to be his angel but Peter continued knocking and they opened and saw him and were amazed It was hard for Peter to believe it. It was hard for Rhoda to believe it. It was hard for the people to believe it. And nonetheless, God answered this prayer supernaturally. It is amazing. Do you know that God still answers prayer? It's not always with a miracle, folks. And the test of this passage isn't, do we just pray and if we have enough faith, does a miracle happen? Because James died. Remember, that's not the point. But the point is to inspire us to see that we can pray and God does still do amazing things. Don't allow the fact that God is sovereign and does know how all things need to turn out in order for his glory uh, to be the only glory in the earth. It is all about his glory. But God knows also our heart and we can pray and say Lord if it is your will if if it Fitz, will you please heal? In fact, we can look at him and say, Lord God, this hurts so much. Will you heal? Will you help? Will you set free? Will you change these circumstances? The thing that we need to understand is that God answers that prayer positively more often than we allow ourselves to think. Lee Strobel wrote a book recently called Miracles, and in there, he defined a miracle this way. A miracle is an event brought about by the power of God that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God is active in history. It is only done to show God's glory. He said, the reason that I'm writing this book is that many believers seem embarrassed by the supernatural. And by embarrassed, I mean they want to be respectable by their neighbors. They don't want to be conflated with some televangelist, uh, strange or over the top in his actions. In many evangelical circles, there's almost a skepticism toward the miraculous or downplaying the supernatural out of the sense of wanting to set themselves apart from the excesses that we've seen in some circles. We hope to not be afraid of the excesses and still trust God to act. In that book, he outlines uh, quite a few miracles. Uh, One guy that had actually recorded 350 that had happened recently, and the 350 that he put in the book there uh, are all ones that have medical uh, backing. In other words, there is a trail that shows the before and the after and the direct result of prayer. And what happened in that person's life. And one that was so shocking. He does an interview online if you want to look it up. Barbara Snyder. Her healing where she actually was uh, one of the most. Uh, her doctors said one of the most hopelessly ill patients that they had had. I believe it was an MS diagnosis. Um, she was on her deathbed. And a request went out through Moody Bible Institute's uh, radio station in Chicago. That said pray for Barbara. He says, we know at least 450 people prayed for her because they got notes to the family of condolence saying we were praying for her. How did it turn out? Well, all of a sudden on that day, specific day, um, they were praying. She all of a sudden says, the the Lord has told me I'm going to be okay. Run, tell my family. Her legs had atrophied. Her lungs had stopped working. She was breathing through a trach tube. Her body had begun the process of shutting down. She hadn't walked for years. She was functionally blind. All of those things had to have people actually hold their thumb against that trach tube in order for her to be able to speak. By that afternoon, she had pulled out all of those tubes. She stood up and was walking down the hall to tell her doctors that she was healed. Her doctor, seeing her from the distance, actually looks at her and says, This is a ghost. This can't actually be happening. I don't believe that this is happening. He goes through and not only records that, they show the medical community for 30 years now. She is on this other side of it, has had no other relapses, no other concerns. All the stuff that they had to do to her physically to keep her breathing has been returned or repaired. She's walking and has had a full life. That doctor still so moved saying, I've never seen such a clear action of God in my life. Shocking, but I want you to think in your own heart right now. Do you have your doubts? Do you, like the people who are praying, like Rhoda running away, do you say, man, there's got to be something else to this story? We, as believers, doubt the activity of God. I believe that this story is written down here to say God is in full control and we need to trust it. He absolutely knows what is best in the moment, and we need to trust his sovereignty. But he is a good father, and we should go to him. Amen? Amen. We should say, Lord, this is the situation. Please, will you take care of it? And like a good father, he knows exactly how he should answer. But it is hard for us to wrap our minds around sometimes. One last thought I want you to remember is that tomorrow's trouble does not negate today's triumph. In John chapter 21, Peter is told actually how he is going to die. 21 verses 18 and 19, it says, Truly, truly, Jesus speaking to him here, I say to you that when you were young you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter decided on that day he would continue to follow the Lord. So just because there is a day in the future where the Lord would say, today's the day that you die, does not mean that you stop praying today or that you stop glorifying God for this victory. Does Peter's death by the hands of those Romans later on, mean that this victory is less powerful? It doesn't. One of the reasons that I say that is uh, there are many different things that can happen in the future. I, I really believe that I'm standing here today because you folks prayed for me. I believe that I'm here because of prayer. But it's also possible folks, that in the future, God's plan for me is another episode of disease. That does not undo the power of prayer that I've already experienced. Do you know that? It doesn't undo any of that. I praise God for this season. I praise God for what he is doing in our midst, but I also pray to God differently because of my experience, and I want you to trust the Lord in the same way. Amen?